Welcome back to season three of Control Alt Career. Can you guys believe we're already on season three? Honestly, it didn't seem like that long ago when I produced my very first episode. And if you're new here, welcome! I'm so excited to have you join us. For those of you who might not know me yet, I'm your host, Jennifer Ong, and in my podcast, I interview people who have taken a leap of faith and pursued an alternative career path in Asia. So, to kickstart season three, I have Jamie Lee here with us today. Jamie is the co founder of The Kind Friend, which is a wellness company that helps people live a more meaningful life through kindness. One of their main products is actually a journal that promotes mental wellness. And this journal has been embraced by many companies such as Google, Facebook, Spotify, and many more. But this actually all just started out as an Instagram account where her husband wanted to just share quotes of kindness and positivity on social media. Over time, the Instagram account went viral, and today they have built a business that supports both of their full time salaries. But before starting The Kind Friend, Jamie has actually started not just one, but two different businesses. Her first company was teaching financial education to school children, and her second one, was helping to connect graduates with jobs in the real world. She spent some time at Carousel after building these two companies and helped Carousel expand their operations to Australia. All right, I'll hand over now to Jamie to share her very fascinating career journey with you guys. Hi, Jamie. Super happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. So I thought I'd just start off all the way at the beginning. You grew up in Australia. Kind of tell us, what were you like back then? Growing up, I've always been a very curious child. I think I've always been quite multi-passionate about multiple things. I love sports and I, I love art. I always enjoy making things to make people smile. And I also enjoy baking. I remember when I was a kid, I started this baking business at home. Oh, wow. And my sister and I created our own menu, our own tipping jar. <laughs> our parents are very kind of forced them to order food from us and we'll make food and then get pocket money that way. So I guess I've always been very curious. And when I was a kid, I did reach out to Hagen Das when I was nine years old. That was during the time when my family immigrated to, to Australia. I realized we didn't have any Hagen Das cafe. If you travel around, you will see Hagen Das cafes everywhere across Asia. So I just wrote either an email or a physical letter to Hagen Das and say, I would like to bring Hagendas Cafe to Sydney. That's <laughs> amazing. Oh my I God. Said, I want to bring Hagendas to Sydney, more specifically around Darling Harbour. And I <sighs> literally list all the reasons why the food traffic, it's great. And it's like an <sighs> iconic location. Even till to this day, I still remember it because even though they said no, they actually responded to my email. Oh. And said so they tried to do it in Australia. It was too expensive. There were too many competitors and they failed. Oh. And through that experience, it just gave me that confidence. You know, if you ever have an idea or if you ever want to reach out to someone that you respect or admire, there's nothing to fear. The only thing that they can 
says no. But the biggest trade-off will be regret if you don't do it. That's such an important lesson to be learning at such a young age. That speaks volume to your character as well. And it seems like you always had this kind of entrepreneurial bug because you were saying that you started selling baked goods with your sister at an early age. So I guess when you were going into university, were you thinking, okay, I'm gonna try to do something in the entrepreneurship space. So like, eventually, I'll start my own business. Or what were you thinking? When I graduated from high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought it was really scary to select a degree that can potentially define who you are for the rest of your life. So one of my closest friends asked me if I want to go back to Taiwan with her to donate our time to teach a group of children from disadvantaged area English. And I say yes. And that was like one of the most life-changing experiences I've ever had. I feel like kids actually teach me how to live a life. They forgive really quickly. They're happy. They're mindful. They're always in the moment. They're curious. They love learning. So after that experience, when I went back to to Sydney, I decided that I wanted to be a teacher. Not necessarily because I feel like I'm a great teacher, but because I love learning. And I want to be in an environment where every day is different, where every day I get challenged, where every day I can provide a space for people to really build them up. And that's why I decided to do education as my degree. Just one and a half year into my degree, I started to shadow different teachers across different primary schools. And I saw that kids as young as six were given pocket money, just $2 or $3 to buy food at canteen. And I was relatively surprised, right? Like we wouldn't give someone a car key without teaching them how to drive. Why are we giving kids as young as six or seven pocket money without educating them the value behind the dollar? I think I was 20, 21. And I was just quite frustrated with that process. So I created my own financial literacy curriculum. And I remember driving around trying to pitch that curriculum to different principals. And I got rejected by every single person and when you're young you're super naive I thought to myself just because every single principal rejected me doesn't mean that I can't do it myself so at the age of 21 I managed to save about 20 25,000 AUD rented a commercial space and started my very first business which is instilling financial literacy education in primary school and secondary school kids. That honestly is amazing and like so much guts to be able to do that at at such a young age. When you were thinking about setting this up, I guess it was something that you really believed in yourself. Maybe tell us a little bit more about that journey as you were setting up that first business. I invested my time and energy into PR. So, you know, the first business kind of picture it as a real life version of Monopoly. So instead of having just chairs and tables, when the students come into the classroom, they actually apply for a job according to the interest. So if you enjoy art, every week you can be drawing a picture and you will get paid accordingly. And the catch is, you know, we have daily expenses in life. So when the kids come into the classroom, they actually have to pay for the chairs that they're sitting on. If they don't pay, they sit on the floor. Literally um, combine play and financial literacy education together. So the kids were learning so much through playing. So the concept is really novel. What I did was I literally packaged my story, including a bit of swag, and put it in gift boxes and sent it to the top journalists across Australia. Each journalist, they probably get thousands and thousands of emails per day. I want to be different. So I always ask myself, how can I stand out in such a crowded space? 
And if you think about it, imagine coming to work with a massive gift box. I think it was like a Winnie the Pooh gift box sitting <laughs> on your desk. Not only will you get curious, all your colleagues will get curious. What is that massive gift box sitting on your desk? And that really got us onto national TV, national newspaper, and then kind of created a buzz around the business. And I did PRs because it's free. I figured that everything else, I had to invest money and I just didn't have any. I had to find ways I can get my name out there through a medium that's free. Wow, that's honestly so creative. <laughs> that's so smart. <laughs> and, and a nice takeaway for us as well. Like try to think about what you can do that's a little bit different from what everybody else is doing. Fast forward a little bit. You eventually moved on from this business and even started a second business after. But tell us about that process along the way. What made you decide to move on to do something else? I think one of the things that I learned being a founder is that sometimes you get so passionate about what you do even when you're hitting the wall, you don't realize it. So I did the first business for about four years. I didn't really pay myself for the first two and a half years or even three years. And I was completely overworked, completely burned out. I'm always stressed. I'm always anxious. I, I had difficulties sleeping as well. And what happened was after four years, the business failed because of cash flow issue. And also my health, in addition to that, a long-term relationship also ended. So the relationship went for eight years and everything just crashing down on me all in one week. And I really didn't know how to handle all that. So after I quit the first business, I actually took a two-month break and I went back to Taiwan where I just reflected upon my journey and really figure out what went wrong. And that's when I realized that if you can never get the inside right, you can never get the outside right. And that's also the time when I started to invest into self-care and to really understand the concept of, hey, you need to look after yourself first before you want to give to others. During that time, when I quit my first business, it made me realize that health is wealth. Without health, you really have nothing. And in my early 20s, I think even till now in our society, there's a delusion that in order for you to succeed, you need to have a high degree of energy, a low need for sleep, and a drive that seems far beyond ordinary people. And with the first business, I, I loved it. I put my heart, my soul, my time, my energy invested into that business. I love my team. I love my customers. But I really had no concept of self-love. It became a massive part of my identity I remember crying along in my bed thinking that, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and this is just something that I had to push through. I was completely exhausted, discouraged and scared. And I was also very scared about what other people would think of me if I failed. I think I placed a lot of emphasis on external validation rather than trying to understand internal validation. So you left your business, you did a lot of self-reflection. And I think these are great revelations, like putting yourself first and making sure that you take care of yourself along the journey and not burn out. After those two months, what were you thinking at that point in time? Were you like, I'm going to go start another business? Or were you like, I'm going to go try and apply for a job? After that, I just wanted to say yes to new opportunities that excites me. I started another business after I went back to Australia and I met my business partners over a coffee chat. And through the conversation, I just got so excited by what she was hoping to build. 
with her idea within the education space, within that coffee chat, I immediately say, yes, let's do it. <laughs> and I, you know, society can kill your dream, but they can never kill your ambition and your goal or your passion. And if you're really passionate about something, I think you just have to listen to your inner voice. I believe we all have that superpower. Your inner voice would tell you what you should be doing or what you shouldn't be doing. And sometimes we just have to listen to that, even if it doesn't make any sense to the outside world. And for me, when I make decisions, I always ask myself, would I regret this in five years' time or in 10 years' time? I found that, you know, life is too short. If I will regret it, then I will more likely to say yes. So by asking that question, it helps me to make decisions. So tell us a little bit more about this second education company that you are working on. In today's day and age, we still use resume to get hired. But how can we judge someone just through a piece of paper? And when I was mentoring university students, one of their biggest frustrations was that a lot of companies will ask them to show them experiences. But they're like, you know, we're still studying. We actually don't have that many years of working experience. Combining the frustration of university students and also recruiters, because it's hard to judge someone on paper. And we just thought, why not create something like a hackathon? Why don't we create an international education program where our partner will give us an existing problem that our students can solve? They can solve that problem within one week. And through interacting with our students, they also get to know how their problems solve what kind of mindset they have, and also really just get to know them as an individual. We did our education program in Australia, so Sydney and Melbourne, in Shanghai, New York, Hong Kong, and Singapore. So I also did that business for four years and was relatively pretty successful. Got it. There was a lot of takeaways that you took from your first business, especially around mental health. What kind of surprised you, I guess, for this second business? I was surprised by how intelligent, smart, street smart university students can be. I found that I can learn from every single person that I meet. And you will be surprised at how much you can learn from uni students. We created this concept called reverse mentorship. And our first program was with Microsoft, where our students were actually mentor senior execs. They will learn from them. It might be how to use TikTok, how to use social media. And I thought it's a really humbling experience because it shows students that, hey, just because I'm a student, I still have value that I can add to the world. And it also decreased their fear of approaching a senior exec. But having that reverse mentorship program, it shows them that you are just as important as everyone else. Your time is equally important as well. And you also have value that you can add even to someone. It might be the VP of a very large conglomerates you have value. I think very empowering for sure. How did you actually convince the companies to come on board to work with you guys in the first place? We really have to pitch, you know, why we started this and what's our mission and what's the goal. And at, at the same time, what's the value that we could add to your organization? And was it just like cold emails or did you have like, did, did you know people there? A bit of both, you know, it, either through connection, but I also if I read something that resonates with me, I would just reach out to, to that person. So I remember in Singapore, we actually partnered out with Spotify. I read an interview back then between Forbes and the GM of Spotify in of Singapore. And within that interview, she also talked about how passionate she, she is with education and she feels there's a gap between internship and what the real world looks like. 
So immediately I reached out to, to her. So it's relevant, it's timely because she just did that interview. And I just reach out to her and say, hey, the interview that you did with folks really resonated with me, similar to you. I also share the same passion with education and believe that there is a gap and this is how we're solving it. So I think you have to understand who your audience is, what they value, like, and what's the solution that you can bring to them. Mm-hmm. Going back to your point about standing out from the crowd, right? It's like finding your edge or that connection where you can connect with someone that will make it more likely for them to reply back or to open your email in the first place. So I know that you then decided to go to Carousel. Kind of walk us through that journey as well. What made you go from your second business to Carousel? Yeah, so Carousel was one of our business partners for the second business that I was running. So through that, I got to know one of the founders pretty well. So whenever he's in Sydney or when I'm in Singapore, we would catch up for coffee and just bounce ideas on how we can help each other's businesses grow. So the relationship's already there. And I remember when they expanded to Australia, they actually reached out to me and say, hey, we're looking for a country manager would you be able to introduce your network to us and see if anyone fits into what we're looking for? When I saw the job description, I got really excited that I couldn't sleep at night. The things that they're looking for, their objectives, and also the mission of the company resonated with me. So I started having conversation with them around, hey, I can actually help you expand to Australia. Here are some of my ideas. Would you be open to consider me, even though I have zero experience working for anyone in my entire life? I also have zero experience working in tech, but I do believe in my ability to learn very quickly. And that's kind of how I pitch myself because the relationship's already there. They've also seen what I've done with my businesses. And that's when we started to have conversation and the rest is history. So I was with the company for almost three years. I think when you're open to new doors or new opportunity, opportunity just comes to you. You need to build a relationship with our previous partners just to see, hey, is there any value that I can add to you? I always go into a meeting with the mindset of that I'm here to add value. I'm here to give. I guess that's one of the key reasons why when they expanded to Australia, they actually reached out to me for for my help to see if I can help them find a country manager for Carousel. I feel like you're dropping so many gems in this interview. I think it's very true, you know, helping others rather than trying to take the most out of the, the relationship. I think the most successful relationships are really built on being able to offer value to your partner. I do have to add transitioning from education to tech hasn't been that easy for me when I just joined the company but I really enjoyed it because it allowed me to be a kid again and just learn everything from the ground up and I think that's an environment that I thrive the most. Like an environment where you have to constantly be learning something new. Yeah and I love asking questions. I feel like there's no such thing as stupid question. If you don't ask you'll never know and I learned by running two businesses and now my third one, I become really comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think the most exciting things that will ever happen in your life will always be on the other side of fear. I completely agree. So did you sell your second business or it was like still ongoing and you just parted? So I parted, but my business partner was still doing it. And then eventually we just split the profit. Okay, so you moved to Carousel. Was it weird going to work for someone given that you had always worked for yourself? It wasn't for me. I feel it was because Carousel culture is amazing. 
they trust their team, allow them to do what they do best. I got to experiment with a lot of different things. I got to hire my own team. And I also received support from the founders as well as from my manager, the SVP of Carousel. I definitely had a really great time with them. And I didn't feel a big charm. And I think it's because they really invest in their employees and also in culture. I think culture is really important. So the culture fit for me was just great when I joined. Cool. Okay, we're finally at Kind Friend. So I wanted to ask, how did that get started? Oh, were you at Carousel at that point in time? I was. And actually, it didn't start it out by me. The Kind Friend was actually started by my husband on Instagram in January 2019. So, you know, my husband always has a passion for writing. And it was very simple. He just want to use his passion to, to uplift others and create content that will make people smile. So every day he would just write a very simple quote. You can see like my husband would be smiling when he's typing the quotes. He was telling me that kind friend was great for his mental health. He feels like he's adding value to the people around him just by his writing. Mm. And yeah, it, it, it essentially has no objective, has no goal. There's no number or metrics attached to it. And we were surprised at how quickly our on- online community grew I think within 10 months, we managed to garner over 55,000 followers just by sharing all these positive quotes. And what I love about this is that the quotes becomes a conduit for connection. You might be like, I can still feel the warmth of your smile underneath your mask. And people will be tagging their friends and family, their loved one, to show them that they care. And that's something that I really like about the kind friend. It's bringing people together through kindness. And because of the growth of our community members, we started to receive thousands and thousands of messages, DMs and stories. And that's when we realized that as humans, we're different, but at the same time, we're all very much the same. It just seems that our community is experiencing an everyday challenge of addressing their stress and anxiety. That's really when we started to have a conversation around, hey, I, I think we can actually create a product and help our communities to help them to make time for self-care and to help them look after their mind. I guess I would just love to know, how do you create viral content? Because it seems like you guys have miraculously tapped into this. I'm just wondering, is there a formula around this? I can't take credit for this. I feel like my husband will probably be the most suited person to answer this question. But I just know that... The fundamental is that you really need to understand your audience. So we stay really, really close to our audience. Sometimes we like look at their Instagram account. Who's our audience? Where are they from? And we try to respond to every single person's message to build our relationships, to build that dialogue. Our community is our stakeholders of the brand. Without them, we wouldn't even be here today. And were there anything that you took away from your first two businesses and even at Carousel that you brought on to The Kind Friend? I found that sometimes my biggest obstacle is actually my internal dialogue. The way we see the world is purely based on how we talk to ourselves. And sometimes I can really self-sabotage my confidence just through the way that I talk to myself. I can be like, oh, My friends are doing better than me. This business just raised $10 million and I don't have investors. I'm not raising money. So through the first two businesses, I really had to learn how to become the best coach I can ever have through Mm. building the way and changing the way that I talk to myself. 
So almost like being the kind friend to yourself. Yeah, I believe kindness start with yourself first. You can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to show kindness to yourself, and through that, that's when you know and understand. You know how you can show kindness to others. Okay. So your Instagram account was created. Your husband was creating content, kind of just for fun. You were working at Carousel at this time. What was the turning point for you guys? I remember we went on the trip to New York. And I was just so inspired by all these direct-to-consumer brands. You have the Glossier, you have Warby Parker, and they're all incredible at storytelling and they're impact-driven. And when I was like looking at all these brands, and I just told my husband, I can totally do this. We've already had a community. We already know the struggle that our followers are experiencing as well. Why don't we co-create a product with our community? And turn this potentially into a business. So I remember we had that conversation in New York. That was August, and we started doing surveys on IG. We found that journaling resonates with our followers the most. And through that, we also asked them if we were to create a journal, what would you like to see inside? What colors do you want to see? What templates would you like to see? The price tag. Pretty much everything, and that's how we essentially turn the company into a business, and essentially co-create and crowdsource our product with our potential buyers. With the first business, I learned that it's very risky to jump into the water with both feet. So I told myself, you know, I would never resign from my full-time job without understanding what's the potential in this business. I wanted to test out the idea, so we created a landing page with all our mock-up journal images. And within three weeks, almost four thousand people signed up wanting to purchase a journal. Wow. And each of our journal, you say, the retail price is thirty dollars SGD. That's a pretty good capital for me to launch this business. Yeah. So that's how I decided to resign from Carousel and do this full time. And also, I realized that I just couldn't stop talking about it. When I wake up, I think about it, and I can pretty much visualize the entire experience that I want to create. For the customers, as well as a journal that I would like to create. I'm interrupting my very own episode to let you guys know that I have a career coaching program designed to help you go from lost and frustrated with your corporate job to living and crushing your dream career. So, if you two want to build a fulfilling, purposeful career, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at ongjennifer_underscore, or reach out to me via LinkedIn. Details are in the show notes to today's episode. In the meantime, if you're not exactly sure what your dream career looks like, I am sharing my three-step framework to help you find your passion. This framework has helped me and my clients in tech, law, consulting, finance, and more figure out and identify their dream career. Want it? Check out the show notes to today's episode to download the free guide now. All right, back to the episode. Got it. And when you created that landing page, did you just share that across your Instagram account? We always ask ourselves, how can we, you know, give people amazing experiences and create things that will actually bring joy to people? So what we did with the landing page, we actually gamified it. So, for example, if you share our journals landing page to ten of your friends and ten people sign up, you get a free journal for free. So that created that virality when people will be sharing with their friends through WhatsApp group, and we have a leadership board, and that's how we got so many people sign up wanting to buy our journal within such a short period of time. That's super interesting. 
It seems like these things, when you say them, it seems like they're so nonchalant, except they're actually really creative ideas that you have that not everybody would immediately think of. Do you feel like this is just something that was like innate in you that you always were able to think outside of the box? I think it's because I love reading. I love learning. I love connecting with people. And I found that there's no such thing as new idea. Usually new ideas, purely you connecting dots. You might be connecting two different ideas together and forming one idea. So even with the landing page, right, I just look at some of the most successful D2C brands out there in the world. How did they create that buzz? How did they launch? And I just emulate the things that I enjoy, that I love, and I feel like that also can work with our community and just connecting all these different ideas together and forming into one. Got it. Okay. So at that point in time, you quit your job at Carousel, right? Yeah, were they pretty shocked? What was their reaction? I feel so blessed and so grateful. You know how a leader treats its departing employees tell you a lot about what kind of leader he or she is. So after I resigned from Carousel, I remember one of our founders invited me to go back to the company and do a sharing about the journal and do a sharing about the kind friend. And through that, it literally spread the word. It was town hall. So every market dialed in to hear that sharing. Not just that, pretty much all the senior executives at Carousel purchased one or more of our journals to support us. To them, it might be $30 a journal. But to me, I will remember every single one of them who has purchased the journal for me and who has supported me. Even just a few months ago, we did a collaboration with Carousel. We actually created a branded Carousel journal for them. That's great. I think departing on good terms and having those relationships is always very, very important, especially in, in business. So I guess at that point in time, how did you know how to create a journal? Like how to get it printed, how to get it designed? The magic of Google. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're so lucky that literally we can research anything and everything. If I don't know something, I just Google it or I will reach out to people who are in a position of where I want it to be. And I would just reach out to them, ask them very specific questions and learn from them. Actually, any tips on cold emailing people to potentially becoming your mentors? You have to find a way to turn cold into warm. So that's when you really need to do your research. I'll use an example. If I watch a TED Talk and I get really inspired, I will just reach out to that speaker. I remember one of our partners, purely because I reached out to him on LinkedIn and say, hey, I really enjoy your TED Talk and this specific point resonated with me. And through that, we started to have conversation and we essentially worked with one of his companies and also created a journal for him. And also, if you share your story, you share your why and the value that you wanted to add, you'll be surprised at how many people actually respond to you. Even if it's a no, at least you get that opportunity to show your appreciation to a person that has inspired you. Mm -hmm. So another example would be going back to my love for reading. So recently I read this book by an author from the United States and I just really loved the book. He mentioned a few times about reflection and how some of the world's most amazing leaders actually journal and make time for reflection. So I just reached out to him and say, I want to turn your principles in the book into a journal that people can use on a daily basis. And here are some of the ideas that I can see within this journal template that I would like to do with you and your team. And, you know, now he's one of our partners. We're actually co-creating a journal together using his principle and turning his principle into the template 
And it all started out with just that one single email. Hey, this is pretty amazing because honestly, like a lot of these things kind of happened either like one through your relationships with people at Carousel uh, or just kind of cold emailing people. And actually, as you said earlier, our fear is what's stopping us from pursuing a lot of these things. And actually, once you overcome that, you could actually see a lot of success in your life. You sold like 4,000 journals at launch. How did you, I guess, continue to build on that? I think the business continued to grow is because we have a great product. So our retention rate and repeat customer rate is relatively high for an e-commerce business. And at the same time, we realize that there's also another potential when it comes to creating customized journal for corporate clients. I never thought that we would be going into B2B. Initially, I thought I'm just going to build the most amazing D2C brand selling journals. But one of our earliest partners came from Waze in New York, and they asked if they could get the journals for gifting. I just thought to myself, I'm like, wow, actually, corporate clients want our journals. But for them to elevate their brand, they need to have a logo on it. That's when we started to look into different business models. One is direct-to-consumer. The second one is we create customized journals for companies, whether it's for the employee well-being initiatives or part of their gifting initiatives. And third, we also run wellness workshops. That wasn't intended as well, but we worked with Spotify. We got a journal for all the employees and the HR team came back to us and say, we love the journal, but can you actually run workshop around journaling and how to use pen and paper to cultivate inner calm? And I guess... All of this comes down to the fundamental of what I've said before. You have to stay close to your customers. And when you just start a business, sometimes you have to do things that may not scale. I remember when I just launched a business, I made the habit of calling the customer. I would literally call them or I would email them like one by one. Even we had shipping delay during COVID, I apologize one by one to each single customer. At the same time, ask them how can we improve our customers love tagging us on social media you also need to watch what time of the day do they tag you when is the best time they journal is it in the morning first in the morning during lunchtime before they go to sleep and when they tag you in the product what can you see around it you know so people will tag the journal you can see stickers you can see candles you can see pens you can see all these different things and that also give you an idea about what's the next product iteration that you can create I found that our customers love the conference it's because they also believe in a mission. We want to use our product to debunk the stigma associated with mental health. We want to amplify the importance of kindness and kindness start with yourself before you show kindness to others. And we just found that people resonate with our story. You know, when people drive a Tesla, what do they want to show to the world? They want to show the world that, hey, I care about sustainability. When people are using our product, the Conference Journal, they're also showing the world that I'm using this product because I believe the importance of mental health and I also believe in the importance of kindness. That's something that we found. Actually, that's a really good point. And a follow-up question on that is, how do you fend off competitors? I don't know. I'm not saying never look at the competitors. I definitely do. But I don't see them as competitors. I just do my research. I just feel like the market is big enough. The world has more like 7 billion people. The market is big enough for everyone to win. 
I think, again, it goes back to your view about offering value and putting yourself out there. It's not a very competitive dog-eat-dog kind of world out there. And actually, there's a lot of kindness that can happen in business as well. So I wanted to ask, what's next, I guess, for The Kind Friend? Right now, we're actually working on some really, really exciting collaborations. We might be collaborating with other artists to co-create products together. So that's something that we are really, really excited about, just potential new product, new collaboration, or even expanding into more countries. I wanted to take the conference everywhere so that the product can help a lot more people around the globe. We want to go deep on the journal. I, I think every business is different, but sometimes I have seen businesses fail because they expand their product range too quickly. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of being known for something. Mm-hmm. Rather than being known for so many products, I would love the kind of friend to be known for you know, wellness journal. And then we might have add-ons. We have gratitude cards. Who knows? We might have stickers or pens in the near future. But at the moment, the goal is to create different types of wellness journals. Got it. And how has COVID impacted your business? It's interesting because when we launched the business in November 2019, you would never put COVID into your business plan. And COVID hit in Singapore two, three months right after. We had a really quiet period around March, but all of a sudden, COVID accelerated our business to another level, especially on the B2B side. I think because all companies are looking for care gifts to send to the employees and uh, mental health becomes such an important topic because COVID actually impacted billions of people mentally. And we're all looking for, for things to do at home as well. So I'm really grateful. I feel like COVID, there's always golden nuggets hiding in dark places in life. that definitely helped accelerate our business to, to a new height. Going back to your point about the B2B side, that was not something that you were originally thinking about, but kind of just it naturally grew by itself because the person from Waze reached out. Did that person um, follow your account prior to this? Was that kind of how the relationship came about? So the first 12 months into the business, I think we worked with almost 40 B2B clients in 12 months. Wow. And um, I would say 75% of those clients came from our network. A lot of my friends were asking me, you know, how can you get so many large MNCs on board within the first year of operating the business? And I always say that people see the trees, they don't see the roots. I started building relationships since I was in my early 20s. And my husband also had a massive network as well. It's never an overnight success, even though the business only been around for over a year. But the relationships that we've built have been around for more than 10 years. So once you launch the business, it's so easy for us to reach out to our network and say, hey, do you think this can add value to your company? So that's how we got so many incredible business wanting to work with us. And I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful just the strong network that we have in our lives. I think you're so right. A lot of the times people just see the iceberg and they don't see everything below the water. I wanted to ask, I know that your husband recently also quit his job to join the business full time. How did that come about? For us, we actually see all the assets that we have as a business. We try to have conversations around how we want to allocate that. And it's been really exciting working with my husband. We've definitely learned a lot about each other during this time. And we just feel like the, our investment side's doing well. The business is growing month on month. Why not 
uh, pull both of our strengths together and really create an impact. I think with the kind friend, it's really around the impact that we will want to create. And hopefully, I always believe that passion, profit, and purpose, all these three things can coexist at the same time. And that's what we are hoping to see with the business. And have you ever worked with your husband before? How has that been? I love it. I hope he <laughs> loves it as well. Yeah, but you know, there's definitely no secret formula. I think in every type of relationship, communication is key. So even before we start The Kind Friend, a lot of our friends laugh at this, but my husband and I always have this ritual that we actually create quarterly you know, performance reviews together. When you're working for someone, you have quarterly review, you have six months review, you know exactly where you where the business or where the department would be. But yeah, we don't really apply that similar mindset into our own life. Imagine if you also have quarterly reviews with your partner or just with yourself, we will have so much more clarity. It's like having a roadmap for your life. Otherwise, you'll just be driving around without a map. You don't know where your destination is. So even before running this business, we've always been doing that as a married couple. So we really understand, you know, what's our motivation Where do we want to be financially? Where do we want to be in terms of our health, in terms of our career? So we just make sure we're consistently aligned. And so, yeah, with the kind friend, it's not a surprise that that he resigned from Facebook because it's always in the plan. Was it a bit like once we hit this revenue target, then we're ready to both like fully commit? It was more around once we hit this number with our investments plus the business. The harsh reality with running a startup is that most startups fail within the first four years. So just relying on the business for him to resign is actually a really, really big risk for us. Mm -hmm. But luckily, we have other ways to generate passive income for us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you speak about investments, it's your personal investments. Yeah, so, you know, we invest in startups. So right now, we've invested in five different startups. And we also invest in different asset classes as well. Mm, Got it. Actually, that's a really interesting point that I do want to dig deeper into if you feel comfortable sharing. A lot of people are very nervous to leave their jobs because they feel like, oh, if I leave a steady salary, how will I survive if I don't get a paycheck every single month? If you were to advise someone who's thinking about quitting their job today to pursue starting their own business, what would you advise them to look at in terms of their personal finances? But if you do want to follow your dream, resign from your full-time job, again, the reality is that most startups actually fail within the first two to four years. It's not easy. And you have to really understand, you know, what kind of lifestyle that you would be okay with. You have to really ask yourself the question, what am I willing to sacrifice? It might be your sleep. It might be the lifestyle that you have. You might be, you know, you kind of get a coffee in the morning. You have to cut down your expense. You have to write down all of that. So you're mentally ready. When it comes to money, everyone's psychology is a bit different. So I was raised by a single mom. And my mom always told me from a very young age that you can't just rely on one single income. You have to find ways to build multiple incomes. And that's when you will have the freedom. If someone wanted to learn personal finance, I highly recommend the two books that I love. One is The Psychology of Money that really help you to understand why you feel this way towards money. And the second one is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was just a very easy way for you to understand how you can allocate your assets and how different ways that you can generate passive income. 
One of the questions that I do ask all of my guests on the podcast is, you know, in the Western world, this idea that if you follow your dreams, eventually the money will come. Whereas in Asia, there's a lot of focus on picking a job that will give you financial security. So from your perspective, given that you spent a lot of time in Australia, but your parents were both from Taiwan, and you now live in Singapore, you kind of have one foot in kind of each camp, but we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this statement. I did follow my dream when, when I was in my early 20s and money didn't come. And sometimes your dream <laughs> may not be tied to monetary value. So it's either you want to turn your dream into a full-time job or a thing that can generate income for you. But also sometimes a dream doesn't have to be money related. Sometimes money doesn't just come from your dream. Sometimes you have to find different ways to generate different kind, different passive income for you to live a lifestyle that you want. And I found that it's usually not the money that people want. It's actually the freedom that everyone wants. But you also need to define what does freedom mean to you. And, you know, when we talk about retirement or, or freedom, what's a number that you need to hit? I always like to start with the end in mind. If I want financial freedom by this age, what's a number that I need to hit? And you work backwards. If you follow your dream, when are you going to hit that? If you don't follow your dream, if you go work for a full-time job, what does that look like? So always start with a goal and then work backwards and see if it's realistic. When I was teaching university students, one of the questions people always ask me is like, Jamie, I don't know what my goal is. I don't know what my dream is. And it just looks so down because our society always tell you, follow your dream, the money will come. But sometimes you have to say yes to different opportunities in order for you to know what your dreams are. You have to make mistakes. You have to say yes to different things. You have to put yourself out there to really discover what your dreams and what your goals are and what actually ignite that fire in your belly. So even before follow your dreams, I would just say the first thing is to just go out there and then try as many things as possible to really understand what excites you and what brings you joy in life. And it's perfectly fine if your dream is to be like, you know, I want to be a great wife to my husband or I want to be a good mom I think sometimes we put too much value on your career and money but what about if someone that just want to be a great mom I think mom is like the most important career part the toughest probably I have so much respect for my mom she's my role model and for her her dream is always to be the most amazing mom that she could be to her daughters Speaking of role models, are there other mentors that you found along the way? And how did you build that relationship with them? I think I find inspiration from my environment. It could be a podcast that I listened to this morning. It can be a book. It can be a person or even nature. So I, I definitely feel like I draw inspirations from a lot of things. And finding mentors, it just be like, if I listen to a podcast, I have a question, I would just reach out to that person. And I feel like my friends around me, they're also mentors because I can learn something from them. Just to close off today's conversation, is there any last piece of advice that you want to share with our audience or just something that you wish you knew before you embarked on, on this journey yourself? I think one thing that I wish I know is there's this term, locus of control. If you look at the most amazing athletes, leaders, or even entrepreneurs in the world, they all know how to master that locus of control, which is focusing your energy and time on the things that you have control over. I found that most of the time our stress and anxiety starts with 
trying to control things that's outside of your control. So that's something that I'm learning to just focus my energy and time stressing out about the things that's within my control rather than focusing on the things that's you know completely outside of my control. For example, COVID. Right now with these uncertainties, it's outside our control, but within my control is I can still live a healthy lifestyle. I can still build really meaningful relationships even during uncertain times like COVID. And I can still run a business. I can still pivot the business. That's all within my control. But outside of my control is whether I can go out, whether the lockdown's going to ease. I don't know about that. I just don't want to waste my time and energy on it. And I think that's really important lesson for me that I learned. That's so powerful. And what a great way to wrap up today's conversation. So I just wanted to say a big thank you, JB, for sharing your super inspiring story. I had a really great time learning from you. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. And there you have it, my conversation with Jamie. Here's a couple key takeaways that I got from this conversation. One, the power of relationships. It was through these relationships that Jamie secured a job at Carousel and later on even got Google, Facebook, Spotify as clients for the kind friend. How do you go about building these relationships? Jamie advises that you go into them by offering to give and add value. Two, when building and growing a business, it is crucial to listen to your customers and build a product, brand, and message that resonates with them. Jamie actually got the idea to create journals for the kind friend by surveying her audience on Instagram. Three, it is okay to not know what your dreams and goals are. Sometimes we just have to say yes to different opportunities, make mistakes, and try different things in order to really understand what excites us and what our dreams and goals are. And that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Control Alt Career. Check back in two weeks' time for the next episode, where I'll be interviewing Greg Van, who went from UBS to Grab to founding robo-advisor startup in Dallas in Singapore. And if you like this episode, do hit subscribe and share with two friends who maybe aren't so happy with their corporate job and need a little extra inspiration. As a reminder, I do have a one-on-one career coaching program, So if you're not too happy with your job and looking for some guidance to find a career you love, feel free to reach out to me or follow me on Instagram at ongjennifer underscore for more information. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys back here in two weeks.